Physics World. Hello and welcome to the Physics World Stories podcast. I'm Andrew Glester and it's December, which is as good a time as any for settling down with a wonderful science book. And in this episode we'll be hearing from Robin Ince, whose book, The Importance of Being Interested, is one of my favourites of this year. But first, here's Physics World editor, Mateen Girani, and Features Editor Tushna Commissariat discussing the books featured in this month's edition of the Physics World magazine. Yeah, we've got a really interesting mix of books for the Festa Read section this year. One of our first reviews is by Emma Chapman, who is an astronomer at the University of Nottingham. And she has reviewed this book called First Dawn, From the Big Bang to Our Future in Space, which is written by um, Roberta Battiston. And it's, it's a really interesting book. I enjoyed her review because she said that she started reading it thinking it was going to be about one thing, which is her field, which is how the first sort of stars are born. And then it turned out to be about pretty much everything else. Mm. And she really enjoyed this going on this journey of not knowing about things. And the book actually really highlights um, what we don't know about the universe. And as a scientist, she really enjoyed this journey of all the things we don't know, which means they're things just out there to discover. Mm, interesting. So that's Emma Chapman, and uh, look forward to reading that. So what else have we got, Tushna? Well, we have Anita Chandran reviewing a book that I personally um, am looking forward to reading over the holiday period. It's called Horizons, A Global History of Science by James Poskett. Um, And this book um, really highlights um, the view uh, that, you know, you know, there's this idea that modern science really originated in Europe and the West and the West alone. Um, And uh, Poskett really wants to um, highlight that this is a myth uh, and that it's um, that there are so many examples of science across the East and and other parts of the world, you know, whether it's Latin America, etc, the Arabic world, Asia, um, and, and so much of that science history is just written out of history. Mm. And so, you know, um, he just wants to really highlight that the way science, the history of science is recorded and taught really needs to be reassessed and that we need to take accountability for this idea that science really originated in Europe. Which, mm. you know, Sounds very worthy and uh, mm. important book. And some, some really great examples of if you're a fan of scientific history, then some really amazing new examples some stories you'd like to bring up in the pub Mm. later i'm sure excellent anything else this month yeah we have a number of other shorter reviews too um a a really interesting book might be um nomad century um by science journalist um gaia vince and this is about um climate change which is really no surprise in this day and age um but the book really highlights what happens as the effects of climate change become very real for people across the planet. The book really highlights um, that if we don't take into account the effects of climate change and do something to reverse it, we're all going to become climate refugees in the next century. So um, some sobering updates there. Wow, that sounds a bit depressing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, perfect for the holiday reading, but yeah, it's an important book. Um, so yeah. Excellent. So thanks, Tushna. So that's the festive read section. Yeah, and there's loads of other really good uh, content in this month's issue. So please do enjoy it and have a good holiday season. Thanks, Mateen and Tushna. Robin Ince is a comedian, actor and writer who you might know best for his work with Brian Cox, including presenting the BBC Radio 4 radio show and podcast, The Infinite Monkey Cage. 
Robin has an insatiable love of books and wrote his own book this year entitled The Importance of Being Interested. Well, the reason for uh, importance of being interested really was because uh, partly as a non-scientist who'd spent a lot of time putting on different science shows, I'd known how many people felt that science was not the thing they could do. So it's not even that science wasn't for them, that it was somehow a rather exclusive place and they didn't have the armament, the mental armament that allowed them in. So that was one of the reasons. In fact, that was really the main reason, which I just thought you don't have to worry about having a deep understanding. You don't have to worry about, you know, I mean, when when people come to the show that I'm touring with Brian at the moment, I know there's a period of time where the majority of people in that room probably don't really understand it. But, I think a lot of those people in that room are now beginning to be more comfortable going, okay, I didn't really get that bit, but it's a seed. It's the beginning of something, and it doesn't really matter. You know, you don't have to... Everyone who tries to do science doesn't have to go, oh, and it turned out I didn't win the Nobel Prize. It was rubbish. It is really about the fact that from my personal experience, the more that I've engaged with scientific ideas, the more interesting all the things around me are. And it's that kind of idea of the world becomes a palimpsest. You know, it, 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 suddenly when you look at something, when you look at the moon or you look at an earthworm, uh, whatever it might be, there are more layers that you see. So so there are just more stories inside it. Well, was there, because you're, as you say, not a scientist yourself, was there a particular spark? Was it a gradual thing? How did it happen, that original thing? It was like, I liked science at school, then I didn't do very well in one exam, and that was enough to destroy me. And uh, so I had no interest in science. And then really, it was probably in my, I think, mid-twenties, I remember I was on tour with Dave Gorman, and I popped into a bookshop and bought three science books. And, uh, and I just started reading them. And I thought, oh, yeah, I do still really like all this stuff. And then that was the kind of the seed for me to go, oh, do you know what? I'm going to put on these shows which kind of have musicians and comedians, but I'll sneak in the theoretical physicist. And then that's just what ended up leading to me putting on just entirely science-based shows. And then the, how I got involved in what eventually we made into the Infinite Monkey Cave. I remember seeing you in a very uh, interesting place in Chalton many years ago and it was your bad book club thing and I, there wasn't much of a sense of science then yeah it would be 97 98 that i was touring with dave but i didn't start i mean the bad book club didn't have any i mean every now and again there might be a science book it just depended on the night but at that point they were two separate things and then actually what happened with the bad book club was that was almost the beginning of i had the 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 show that i did the same year that I started Book Club, was a show that had a lot more science in it. Or perhaps I should say a lot more scepticism in it rather than science. And uh, had little bits about homeopathy and little bits about uh, iridology and all manner of bits and pieces like that. And that was kind of my gateway in. And then when I started Book Club, after about a year and a half, I thought, why didn't I also put on a night which rather than celebrating strange bits of pulpy literature, people celebrate ideas they found from books that they adore and that excite them. And that. So I started, I think the first version of it was called something like The School for Gifted Children. Um, and then it went under various different titles. And then it became two things. There was Nine Lessons and Carols for what is now called Nine Lessons and Carols for Curious People and then Compendium of Reason, uh, which I normally do with Brian. But it was, yeah, so it was around the same time as book club I was then working on what initially was a separate idea and then one led into well they, they kind of went back and forth really
Okay, so the, the, the very clear thing, right, and this isn't a surprise to me, is that books are really important. So it, you've written a popular science book. Is it a popular science book, what you've written here? I, it's been reasonably popular. Uh, the uh, no, it's. Um, I think it is because I think it is. I think mo- anyone with a, with a minor interest can read it. It's not one of those popular science. I mean, I've I've deliberately tried to make sure that it's not. It doesn't talk down to people. I, I you know, I I, I want to make sure that my, you know that's why quite often sometimes when I'm describing things or when I'm reporting the speech of a cosmologist, I will say at this point I had no idea really what was going on. So I want people to, like me, you know, know that because I think sometimes people think I understand a lot more than I actually do. You know, I think it's one of the important parts. I think quite often uh, with working with Brian is at times I will say, just so you know, you're not the only person in the room who doesn't understand all of this because you know I really don't want people to depart from any of those events, either solo events or events with friends, thinking that they are not able to, you know, misunder not being able to understand things is important. That means you're going into a direction which is more interesting. If you understand everything you hear, then you're not necessarily in the right room. I think, yeah, I mean, I, I really wanted it to be available. I, I mean, I know that people as young as uh, 11 have read it and I've had reports back from them and they've enjoyed it. And I got one of my favourite things was getting a message from a 92-year-old who said it's the book that I've been waiting for. And, you know, that's what I, I, I wanted to create was something that um, was totally accessible. And, and that was a very, very important part of it. There was an interesting census from last year, which has been released recently, which suggests that people who are of, I mean, I don't know quite what this means, but sort of people who are of no religion, no reported religion, is a rapidly growing sexualist society. Is that, to your mind, linked to a kind of scientific or sceptical worldview? I'm not sure it is. I, I, I think it might be linked to that sense that for a, part of, for a period of time, there was the idea that we might be moving a little bit close to some form of post-war utopia. And then really since 1979, we've, so I think it may well even, you know, rather sadly, it might come from that pessimistic view that it's uh, the disappointment of human beings. I mean, interestingly, today I was at a museum of religion and it's and as I was going around it I thought oh it's the Asian Civilizations uh, Museum and it's just packed with all of these fantastic stories of gods and pranksters and then you get into the Christian room and it's just like you go oh here's original sin and I died for you and there's guilt and misery so I think that might play its part as well, because, you know, in every other room, you know, you, you, you know, I was looking at some of the stuff that comes from, I always probably mispronounce this, the Vedas, you know, the books that actually were a big influencer. Oppenheimer, you know, looked into them a great deal. And in fact, it's always interesting that quite a few quantum physicists were drawn towards Eastern mysticism. Because, the, I, I don't know, there seems to be such a, a great level of ideas there. And so many more things to play with, and a love of knowledge, and uh, and it's not ashamed of of things like sex and sexuality and all those other things. Whereas I, I think in another way, you know, something about some forms of Christianity. I'm not saying the whole Christian story, but the way the organised uh, or the organisers of these things have often used it is to make you go, "You're guilty. You did a bad thing. 
and God's angry with you. So you have this kind of terrible role model of a father. And sadly, I think it does influence, uh, or certainly has influenced, what people think you're meant to be as a, as a, a patriarch in uh, in some ways. So yeah, I'm not. That, that's sort of a very long answer, but it's. Uh, but I just want to tell you, it's an excellent museum. If you go to Singapore, you should make sure you go to the Museum of Asian Civilizations. Um, but it's uh, yeah, I, I think, and it's also there's another thing which I think is interesting, which we need to play around with a lot more. Is we really do need to push doubt a lot more. Into, beyond science and beyond that battle against ideology, that thing of being comfortable with doubt, because I think something that comes from, I think of it as predominantly as, 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 a, as a Western culture thing, uh, and in particular perhaps English culture or English speaking culture, which is literalism. And literalism, so very often when we've looked at other cultures, religions, faith, legends, we've presumed these people are looking at everything literally as opposed to mythic stories, which can be interpreted in many ways, that kind of more of a William Blake approach to reality. So I think that, you know, but there's many different things. But yeah, I, I and I think that is true, actually, that certainly science has in some ways uh, worn away some of those. But, but like I say in the book, I think it's very important for people also to know that, you know, you can still believe in some form of God uh, and also approach science as you know, there are scientists who do that and there are people I know who absolutely adore science who are, are bishops and deans and all manner of, of things. The, the one thing which becomes problematic is once it becomes a definite truth. So if you say my, nothing can in any way damage my, my definite truth, then science becomes quite a hard playing field. From a science communication point of view, definitely, that communication of doubt, communication of the scientific way of doubting things, it's quite a tricky thing because as soon as, you know, people will, nefarious people in the society will pounce on the doubt of climate science, for example, and say, look, you see, they don't, they don't know. Well, that is exactly why we need to educate people uh, in critical thinking. We need to have far more critical thinking and perish the thought for some scientists who dislike philosophy. We need more philosophy. We need more understanding of the fact that certainty is actually very often something that leads to nowhere and that doubt does not mean that it is, requires inaction. One can take action while at the same time holding your doubt in your hand. And I think that's a really important thing to do because um, I totally agree with you. This incredibly annoying thing that you see from these trite hack journalists who are all over the place, who have no understanding of science, but because maybe they've got a degree in English literature, whatever it might be, they think, well, you see, because actually I know about Beowulf, I, I don't see why I also don't know just as much about physics and everything else. There's a tremendous, weirdly enough, when people talk about the arrogance of science, I see an enormous amount of arrogance from people who have no scientific background. You know, we saw this during COVID. COVID, where suddenly everyone was an expert on vaccines and you know it had only taken them half an hour as well imagine if they'd had a whole hour what incredible achievements we'd have got from them <laughs> so yeah I think we'd, we'd, we need to get it out there that this is what you know it's something talked about many times in many different uh, kind of shows is science is not about having the 100% right idea it is about attempting to have the least wrong idea the most useful idea for the time but always being ready for that idea to change and move on I think one thing that's changed a lot in my thinking over the last 16 17 years is finding a place for mystical belief and for the, I mean, that's one of the reasons that Nine Lessons of Carols is now called for curious people, because it was only ever called for godless people, because it came out of 
being really annoyed being on some terrible panel show on TV where there was, you know, a, a really horrible member, like a really nasty Christian who I know the majority of Christians every time he was on television were furious because the reason television put him on was because he was infuriating not because really he represented the majority of Christians in. And so he kept saying, you want to ban Christmas, you want to ban Christmas. And I kept trying to explain that I didn't. And that's where it came from. And then years later, I just thought, well, now I just want as many people as possible to enjoy these scientific ideas. So I don't want people to feel it's a closed shop. We need more, and I think we're seeing it. We need more and more scientists to be a little bit like Alan Moore, you know, the great Alan Moore, V Vendetta Watchmen. And Alan has a way of balancing scientific understanding which he has very deep scientific it's quite a remarkable mind but finding a place for the mystical as well also he has the best line he he's written a uh a, his new short story collection includes a short story about the first femtosecond of the universe and the opening line is it was the best of times it was the first of times which is such <laughs> a great opening line you're going to have that um, and, you know, and that's yeah. why i always liked having alan on at nine lessons as well because he brought something that you know, for people was was always a surprise. You've mentioned Brian Cox a, a couple of times, and this is the Physics World Stories podcast. So this is a really stupid question. Is physics your favourite science? I don't know. I mean, there are times when it is. I mean, for a while, like a lot of us, I was really drawn towards quantum entanglement and quantum quantum mechanics. And and now I kind of agree with some of people like Helen Chersky, who gets a little bit annoyed about just how many books there are. Uh, I mean, there are certain books in that. Uh, Philip Ball is one of my favourite writers, and Beyond Weird is, is wonderful. But it's possibly biology, because I like the messiness of it. I'm fascinated in neuroscience as well. So the activity of our brain, the structure of our brain, what we can understand from the structure and what currently is elusive to us about nature of consciousness and imagination. I think I really enjoy that I, more than anything else. Uh, and I'm not saying that I have a deeper understanding of that, but it's somewhere where I like playing a great deal. Because again, you know, I try in that book, in the book, to, to talk about the fact that once you realise about how your brain puts together the picture of the world, that's another reason to get rid of certainty. Anyone who sits in a room and believes that they have got a privileged position, which is allowing them to see the objective truth of every colour, every corner, every bit of human behaviour, is you know, they're making a terrible misjudgment. The moment that you go, would you know what? I was in the same room as you and I believe this happened and you believe that happened. But actually, probably something in the middle happened and let's just, you know, so many of the arguments that come from certainty of our experience. And again, once you loosen those things, I think you get a far more enigmatic picture of the world and actually a far more useful picture of the world in terms of social engagement. So you mentioned a few physics books, popular science books, but if you were going to recommend three for people to pick up this December, what would they be? Oh, that's very hard. I mean, I always actually say The Demon Haunted World by Carl Sagan, his last full book, because I think it's a really good way in and it does have ideas of critical thinking. And I don't think it has a cynicism to it. I think it has a great warmth, even when it's dealing with the kind of some of the more mystical ideas. Um, I, I really like Jana Levin's How the Universe Got Its Spots. 
because I think it's an interesting look uh, about the nature and understanding of cosmology with a very personal story sewn through it of the difficulties that she was actually having as a human being living in a pretty tatty flat in uh, in, in, in Brighton with her partner. And I think I, I would pick that one. Um, Oh, now the third one, because I've got no, no more after this, and that's then very, very unfair. Do you know what? I am going to go for another classic, uh, just because I, I know people have found this really useful, which is reading uh, What Do You Care What Other People Think by Richard Feynman. Because, again, I think it's a beautiful series. I mean, what I'm really trying to pick here is three which I think have a lot of humanity in them because I think that's the important thing, first of all, before you deal with the big books, before you go to the book that Jeff and Brian have written about black holes or any of those things, I think you need a lot of a human story in there. Um, you know, uh, What Do You Care What Other People Think has the transcription of uh, some of Richard Feynman's Pleasure of Finding Things Out, which is, of course, a great ultimate kind of now essay on what it is what the excitement of exploring ideas it also has the story of the challenger space shuttle and what happens when sometimes you know again it was the business pressures it was the money and financial pressures of nasa that is one of the reasons that the challenger space shuttle uh you know th that devastating thing occurred um and then it has the story also of his relationship with his first wife uh which i think is such uh an, an incredible the, the bit at the end where it talks about him sitting with her arlene as she was dying and his scientific mind thinking about what was going on to her body and her mind but at the same time that he was not detached from the emotional reality I think is a, is an incredible kind of a, a, a superposition in some ways of the possibility of the, the what a human mind can do in the most devastating of situations. So you are in Singapore. Why are you in Singapore? I am. It's well. I've got uh, Brian. It's the end of this year's Horizons Live tour. We're nearly done. So we we should have all done this in one fell swoop, but because of COVID, rather than so we did Australia and we came back three weeks ago, and now we're in Singapore and we're about to go to New Zealand. And we've looked at the schedule, and it will destroy us for Christmas. That is most. Do you know how 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 Santa does it? I don't know because we've only got five <laughs> stops, and I think we're going to just be you know reasonably broken by the end of it. But yes, yeah, so we're finishing the Horizons Live tour, and then. We we do a little bit uh, in Europe in March. Uh, we go around a few places. I think we're in Brussels and I think we go to Berlin and then around Scandinavia. But there's also nine carols and lessons for curious people. Yeah, curious people. one day after I take the 30-hour flights to get back from New Zealand, I uh, then do the nine lessons and carols for curious people at King's Place and then do two more the next day, um, which is very ill thought out. But that's how I've lived for the whole life. If I hadn't, if I didn't constantly do things that were ill thought out, I would have no excitement at all. <laughs> if people are listening to this and they want to come along to Nine Carols, what can they expect to see this year? A show that has really rapidly changed in the previous six hours due to a train strike and the number of people who are unable to come in. Uh, so at the moment, and I should say, by the way, that I do support that train strike. It might be making our life more difficult, but I also entirely understand why it is 
is uh, it is necessary. Um, but it's so, so there will be that. Normally, what we have is we have a bunch of experiments. But I don't think we have any chemists this year because last year one of the chemists set fire to the theatre. I mean, they've been approaching that level of uh, accident for some time, just with minor spillages of sulfuric acid. But then it went that extra kind of level. There will be chemistry though, um, and we've got a lot of musicians, a lot of comedians, uh, and we've got people like Beck Hill, and uh, hopefully we've got uh, Grace Petrie joining us as well. And uh, we, yeah, it's it's just this kind of. The reason I'm not mentioning too many names is because I really don't know who's going to be. What I mean, hopefully it won't require me to fill for four hours because I really won't have the energy. I mean, I'm thinking of just sitting in a rocking chair like some kind of Christmas special from 1974, you know, in a nice <laughs> bit of knitwear. You know, Please welcome one of my favourite theoretical physicists. Um, but, I mean, the good thing is we will probably have a lot of UCL scientists. Helen Chersk is ready. John Butterworth is ready. Anyone who is within five miles, I think, of uh, any musician, comedian, uh, chemist uh, or neuroscientist, uh, physiologist, whatever it might be, uh, they may well get called up. There's a review of Robin Ince's book, The Importance of Being Interested, on the Physics World website, physicsworld.com, where you can also find reviews of all the books that Tushner and Mateen mentioned earlier. Now, it occurs to me that some of you might not have had the chance to experience one of Robin's live shows. So here's a little snippet of one that I recorded earlier this year in Bristol. Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which I read as this kind of absurd thing. I, I had no idea when I first read it that some of the ideas he was talking about were real physics because they were so crazy. The kind of, you know, probability drives and all of these things just seemed like really brilliant imagination of an author. And then a few years later, you start to go, oh, okay. So in quantum mechanics, this was, oh, okay. And in this form of cosmology, oh, and this, you know, that is... In fact, the guy who edited the book, um, there were three eventually. Um, <laughs> only the last was strong enough. And Because um, uh, he said he didn't realise that the restaurant at the end of the universe is not a kind of geographical position, that it's at the end of the universe, that it's the end of the universe. This is when the universe ends. So that is interesting to me that even somebody who works in books just still didn't even know the meaning of that title. You can hear the rest of Robin's performance there at Bookhouse in Bristol on my other podcast, The Cosmic Shed, which you can find at thecosmicshed.com Thank you very much to Robin Ince for joining me for this episode of the Physics World Stories podcast and I hope that's given you along with Tushner and Mateen's suggestions earlier some ideas for some books maybe for yourself or for a present this December or Christmas or holiday season whatever you want to call it but just before I leave you I will just add one more recommendation which is Apollo Remastered by Andy Saunders. It's a book that I've reviewed, which will appear on the Physics World website in January, physicsworld.com. But if you are a fan of Apollo, even if you've got a lot of Apollo books, I highly recommend having a look at the Andy Saunders book, Apollo Remastered. And we'll be back next year in January when we'll be exploring the return to the moon and the challenges of living in space for prolonged periods. And thank you very much for listening. Physics World.